Welcome to the inaugural edition of BC Polytalk. I'm Bill Tillman, your co-host. And I'm Daniel Fontaine, your co-host. We're really looking forward to our first guest of this show, one of the deans of all parliamentary press galleries and the dean of the Victoria Press Gallery, Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Vaughn is our particular guest today because he hosted for 20 years Voice of BC, a show which we emulate, we hope, in the weeks ahead, uh, because it's the kind of show where you can have an intelligent, informed, long-term conversation of some considerable length, I guess, Daniel, and really get at some of the issues that we think are important in BC politics. Yeah, and I think that one of the reasons we chose Vaughn to be on our inaugural show is Vaughn has such a depth and understanding and, and a longitudinal understanding of politics in this province. And I think that uh, Vaughn is a great first guest for us to be able to set the stage for where we're going with uh, this program uh, in the coming weeks to be able to cover a wide range of topics. I know you and I are going to talk to him and, and put him a little bit on the hot seat in terms of some of, some of the things that are uh, very topical here in the province right now. And there's lots to talk about. There's First of all, there's rumours that we might actually have an election this year in 2020. Uh, and that those haven't stopped. They, there's some people beating the drums in the NDP and elsewhere and, and others thinking that it's a real possibility. And it's always a possibility with a minority government. We've also got Andrew Weaver, the Green Party leader, has now stepped down as leader. We have a Green leadership contest going on, and that could have a significant impact on politics in BC, and we don't know who's in yet. Yeah, we also have the uh, the potential for a number of MLAs that will be retiring or announcing their retirement. We've already seen that in the latter part of 2019. I'm expecting that that will continue straight through into 2020. Um, some people will be going willingly, others might be going a little bit more grudgingly, but I think that's something we'll probably want to approach with Vaughn when he's on, on with us. Yeah, and that's an opportunity opportunity for Premier John Horgan of the NDP to introduce some new members into his cabinet, uh, some possibilities, Bowen Ma's name mm -hmm. has been mentioned, Ravi Kalan has been mentioned and others. And it's also an opportunity for uh, Andrew Wilkinson, the Liberal leader, to bring in some new faces as well and perhaps in some safe Liberal ridings where they can actually win by-elections before the real election. And I know I'm going to want to talk to Vaughn about the balanced budget. That's potentially coming up. We're assuming it's going to be a balanced budget. But um, are we really still wanting to have balanced budgets in British Columbia? Is it something that we really care about? We've seen federally that uh, the whole notion of a balanced budget has been out the window for years and there isn't going to be a balanced budget for uh, the foreseeable future. So is that something that that the provincial NDP are looking at. Yeah, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has proven, particularly in 2015, when he outflanked the BC or the NDP and the left, uh, that budgets really are not a big deal in terms of going into deficit. And again, in uh, in the last election, mm -hmm. clearly not the defining issue that defeated the government, despite the Conservatives' attempts to do so. But would the BC NDP take that chance, uh, always having the knock on them, can't run a popsicle stand, etc.? But we have the best economy in in the entire country in BC, and I think it's probably a safe bet for a balanced budget this year. Yeah, we have the best economy, but they, there are uh, some cl dark clouds in the horizon. We're seeing the no dark clouds. There, no are dark some, clouds. there are some dark clouds in the horizon. <laughs> I knew we'd just look at, the, yeah. look at the uh, data coming out on the jobs report. And and even I would argue that uh, uh, the whole issue of the, the BC assessments, housing values are starting to go down. While some are cheering that, there are many other people that might be concerned that if the trajectory continues down that road, that they may be losing equity in their homes. So there's some, there's some potential. And yet concern. record housing starts in Metro Vancouver, well, Daniel. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> depending on which stats you're looking at. Uh, I know I'm also um, going to be asking or would love, like to talk to Vaughn as well about uh, an issue that's popped up again for us that we hadn't quite anticipated. Well, it was, uh, it's been percolating for about a decade up north uh, the, with uh, the uh, coastal uh, gas link project yeah. and the whole protests yeah. up there around the hereditary chiefs versus the elected chiefs. Fascinating uh, to see what the government is going to do with that issue. And that's really uh, a bigger part of, or a smaller part of the bigger issue, which is UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the, uh, Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, which has been passed only by the BC 
BC government and uh, a lot of people wondering what are the actual consequences of this. We're seeing that perhaps play out up north, but it's uh, under it was passed by all parties in the legislature right. and so there isn't some political friction there at the moment. There's some, I think, probably some doubts within uh, people on all political parties as to how this is going to work, but mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have a very interesting situation as it develops and, and is developing as we tape right now. Uh, up north and uh, whether that, that roadblock is uh, removed by the police forcibly or whether it's negotiated. And what would a discussion with Vaughn Palmer be without uh, trying to figure out if there's going to be any more bombshells coming out of the Speaker's office? And I know there's been no. some, yeah, there could be another <laughs> bombshell revelation coming out of the Speaker's office, but we know that, that uh, there still is the report uh, that's still to come out on the on the travel of the, the, the Speaker's uh, Chief of Staff, I think went on a road trip to to multiple states and provinces that we still don't know what's happened and, with and that. There's still a criminal investigation criminal. underway into the uh, former clerk, uh, Craig James. So there's still lots to come there. Yeah. So that's an area that I know we, you never know with these things. Uh, you and I've, I've watched the legislature for many, 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 many years. And uh, I, I must say, even uh, with this current legislature, I've opened up the newspaper and I'm always surprised that something else has popped up. There. Well, Daniel, you never know with BC politics, period. That's, exactly. that's why it's so great. You bet. So looking forward to, uh, to talking to Vaughn today. Joining us now is Vaughn Palmer from Victoria. Vaughn, great to have you here on our first show. Well, thank you for asking me, Bill. I really appreciate you and Daniel getting me on. Well, you know, Voice of BC was a much watched show for everybody in BC politics for 20 years as you were the host. And when Shaw Cable disappeared uh, as a channel in here in Vancouver and as a show, it really left a hole, we felt, in the discussions, having an intellectual, intelligent discussion of BC politics, if that's not an oxymoron. And so Daniel and I are, are both thrilled that you could join us for this very first show. Well, again, thank you. And you know, the great thing about Voice of BC was we always said it belonged to the guests. Uh, politicians were delighted to come on because they got a full hour to explain themselves instead of brief uh, sound bites. And I just note that the most common guest we had on the show in the 20 years was a guy named John Horgan. He was very generous in his time and, and liked coming on because, as he said, you got a chance to actually explain yourself. Yeah, and I think it's something that's really kind of lacking, as you say. It's a lot of sound bites and a lot of spin bits. And, and also, I think all politicians from all parties are frustrated because as our media shrinks, it's harder and harder to get any kind of sound bite alone. So we're hoping to fill some sort of gaps and have a good conversation. Uh, let's start with our first question that Daniel and I discussed before. We've heard a lot of talk about the possibility of an actual election in 2020, in this year, and certainly there's some drums beating, uh, particularly in the NDP camp. Some people think that might happen. We have Andrew Weaver, the now former Green Party leader who stepped down and a, a Green Party leadership campaign underway soon. Uh, what do you think? Is there a possibility of a 2020 election? Well, I think all three parties represented in the legislature should prepare for the possibility because the balance of power in the House is close and it's not inconceivable that the government could lose a confidence vote even if it didn't intend to. So that's possible. But I would say, you know, the New Democrats, uh, they hit the three-year mark this July. Uh, BC governments don't tend to call elections early. They haven't done it since Dave Barrett outsmarted himself and called an election after three years and three months. And not only lost the election, but the New Democrats were out of power for 16 years. So I think it's unlikely, uh, you know, barring some political disaster. And I think that's why all parties are preparing. A, a member of the legislature could be off sick. Uh, they could miss a vote. Uh, the Greens could change their mind under a new leader. 
But I don't think, and I think the Premier tried very hard at the end of the year to throw cold water on the notion that John Horgan would be scheming for an election this early. So Vaughn, the, the, the whole complication with the fixed election day too, I mean, I've heard people talk about how the Premier can't even really call an election. It has to be triggered by some event like a, an MLA retiring or them losing a vote in the House. Is that, does that have any credence in terms of the legislation forcing the Premier to not call an election? I think that is a significant factor when you fix an election date, and it's what, the third Saturday in 2021, I think it's October the 16th, uh, third Saturday in October. When you do that, and then you sign an agreement, like the New Democrats signed with the Greens, to essentially govern together until that, and not force confidence votes, um, I think you'd need a really good reason to go to the voters and go early. Um, I think I could win is not necessarily the thing that's going to go over well with the voters. So I agree with you, Daniel. I think uh, that's another reason why it's not very likely um, that the Democrats haven't finished their agenda yet. The Premier made that very clear in his year-end interviews as well. My sense too, Vaughn, is that uh, Premier Horgan really enjoys his job. He is one of the first people I've ever seen to grow into the job from his frustrations as opposition leader to just being a, a very jolly fellow as the Premier and enjoying it immensely. I find it hard to believe he'd risk uh, an entire year of being Premier on a possibility, and the polls that I've seen are very tight, uh, possibility that they could win an election. Yeah, the only thing I think, uh, I yeah. Yeah, the only thing I would I'd add to that, Bill, is just uh, I think the issue really is around do things get better for the New Democrats in the next 24 months or do they get worse? And I think that's something that would be calculated around, uh, and it's been well uh, documented and talked about, the finances of the province. We're looking at uh, some, some major issues with, again, the jobs report came out last month, this month. Looks like we're losing more jobs in British Columbia. So it's not, the scenario doesn't really play itself out that things are going to necessarily get better, but I, I, I hear you on that. But Vaughn, if we were to have an election, what do you think both the BC Liberals and the BC NDP would be trying to position as the election question for them, knowing what you know now? Well, from everything the New Democrats have been saying, really, since they got in, uh, they have been, I think, doing a very effective job of making the BC Liberal record the issue. Uh, the Liberals did that to the New Democrats for 16 years. And I think one of the big things the New Democrats will be pushing in the next election, we've already heard them say this, uh, don't go back, don't turn the clock back, don't go back to the government that uh, allowed hoard housing prices to soar out of control and set the ICBC dumpster fire and allowed money laundering to get out of control. So I think, you know, you, you're going to run on your record always as a government and you can point to all the things you did that people will like, but I also think that the that the Democrats will be running very much on a look. Memories are still fresh about the Liberals. You don't want to go back to that. Vaughn, uh, I'm wondering also from your vantage point in Victoria, we're hearing, we know Ralph Sultan is uh, not running again and Andrew Weaver. Who else would you expect to see announce that they're not running? And how will that affect Premier Horgan's ability to shape a new cabinet? He's talked about a cabinet shuffle, but also Andrew Wilkinson's ability to try and put a new face on the BC Liberal Party. Well, start with Horgan. Uh, in his year-end interview with Keith Baldry at Global TV, Horgan said that uh, he would be talking to ministers over the Christmas holidays and asking them whether they were running again. Um, premiers do that before a general election. I think it's a little early to be asking the question, but in any event, he says he's going to do it, and that provided a hint that he's thinking of people aren't running again. Well, you bring in 
younger people who are running again into the cabinet and you have some early retirements. Um, again, though, Bill, I, you know, this group of new Democrats collectively were in opposition for 16 years. And um, that's a long time. And it's a lot of pent up demand to do stuff. Again, I doubt there'll be very many retirements. I think they're, you're right, Bill, they're enjoying government. Oregon himself is enjoying it. And I think his senior ministers are as well. I would be surprised if there are a lot of retirements among the Democrats. Having said that, yes, I think there are younger members and members that have got some experience now that you're going to want to bring into cabinet. And that bodes for a cabinet shuffle. But uh, I'm skeptical, again, that Horgan would do a big house cleaning. He's made really no cabinet changes at all, with the exception of the one minister who had resigned. Uh, because she's so subject to an investigation. And I guess that's one of the other questions for Premier Horgan. I was surprised to hear him say uh, shuffle because some people were telling me, look, you can't have all these backbench MLAs who wanted to be in the cabinet, who didn't make it, who'd been there in the opposition benches for many years. If you do a shuffle and bring in, say, a Bowen Ma or uh, a Ravi Kalon, who have been talked about as, going, as good cabinet material, you bring them in and leave other people standing on the sidelines, you're going to have a real problem internally. Well, yeah, if someone announces they're not running again, then I think yeah. you'd expect that person to, to go out of cabinet. But um, and there are a couple of ministers who I think, you know, have underperformed, although his front bench, his key ministers have been very strong. And I think that's another characteristic of the home holding government. Um, you, you asked about Wilkinson and the liberals and the liberals have been sending pretty strong hints to their members that they would like a bunch of retirements, that they need a fresh face, they need a more diverse caucus uh, than the one they have right now, and a younger one. And we've already had a few announcements of retirements. Ralph Sultan, Linda Reed is not running again, Steve Thompson is not running again. And I think the Liberals are hoping there'll be some other announcements as well. The Liberals have also announced, what, about a dozen seats where they're gonna start nominations already? And they've said that this month they will announce more so they're working pretty hard to present a new team to the voters, and they don't control the timing of the next election. If there's going to be an earlier one, so it's very important for them to be more ready. So Vaughn, kind of switching gears, but still related to that, is the whole green leadership and talking about the wild card and what might potentially trigger a provincial election this year. We're at, right in the midst of the rules coming out. Looks like we've got we're going to have probably at least one, maybe two or three potential people that are running. Uh, Bill and I were talking about the intriguing notion of having a green party leader come from Metro Vancouver, someone like a Yonina Campbell, versus uh, Sonia Furstino, who's already an elected MLA. Could you talk a little bit about some of the dynamics, the political dynamics that might be happening and occurring within the Green Party around this potential shift over to Metro Vancouver from the, the South Island? Well, since 19, so since 2013, this has been Andrew Weaver's party and he's defined it and led it and he's lead it. And I think it's an open question what the Greens are going to look like. Uh, you know, Adam Olson is the interim leader, but he's taken himself out of uh, the, the permanent leadership. Sonia first in may jump in. Uh, but this party is... <laughs> You know, I looked over those rules and um, you don't even have to join the Green Party in order to vote for a leadership. <laughs> Memberships are free for anyone under the age of 25. Um, and we don't really know what this party consists of or who they are or where its membership 
is, and people, of course, can sign up. So I think it's a very open question what kind of a Green Party you're going to get at the end of it. Uh, we know that there will be a new leader announced on the 27th of June. That leader, of course, coming from outside the House, uh, unless it's Sonia Furstenau, will not have signed the power-sharing agreement with the NDP and won't necessarily see themselves as bound by it. Well, one, one delicious rumor I'm starting is what if Elizabeth May decided to switch to provincial politics and run in Oak Bay? <laughs> it's, the relations between the provincial party and the federal party have not been all that great. Weaver and May uh, were not close. Uh, Weaver has taken a vow of silence uh, in this leadership race, but I thought the best question at uh, the press conference where Weaver announced he would step down uh, was the reporter who said, uh, how are you going to be able to stand not being the center of attention? <laughs> well, I think it will be interesting to watch the Green Party as we go forward. I do think that Sonia Furstenau as a sitting MLA will likely have the advantage, but I think that there could be an opportunity for some some wildcard or some yeah. other person to yeah. come in and maybe capture the, the public's attention. And I do agree that the power sharing agreement, I think under Farstino's leadership would be intact. I think under anyone else's leadership might be uh, might be at risk. Um, just remember, to remember that the Greens are not a whipped party. The party doesn't control how their members vote in the House. The three signatures on that power sharing agreement are Weaver, Olson and Farstino. A new leader could ask them to vote differently, but cannot command them to do that. So that's another thing to think about, even if you get a new leader. Yeah, yeah you could have a scenario where you have uh, three elected officials that are not uh, kind of doing the will of their party leader who wants them to tear up the agreement. Sh so shocking news in BC. Shocking news in <laughs> British Columbia. So Vaughn, Vaughn we're about uh, just a few weeks away from the, the provincial budget, which is going to be tabled uh, in the House. We all know uh, the Minister of Finance has been uh, signaling very loud and clear that there's not a lot of extra cash uh, floating around in Victoria. What are you expecting in this uh, provincial budget uh, that'll be unveiled sometime mid-February? Yeah, I think it'll be tight. Uh, the BC economy is still doing pretty well, uh, not as well as the New Democrats hoped. They scaled down their growth projections. Carol James did in September. She asked ministries to come up with $300 million in savings. I think it'll still be tight. But the one thing they've been doing is they have been greatly increasing the number of uh, construction projects out there, uh, publicly funded infrastructure. They added about $3 billion worth of that in uh, in September. So uh, you're seeing a government that's spending a lot of money on capital projects, borrowed, it's not part of operating funds, uh, doing their best to keep the economy charging along. And so far, it's been pretty good for them. So. I think they can manage it. They've certainly made a priority uh, to continue to show balanced budgets. They know the problems politically that it created for them in the 1990s when they were seen as having enormous difficulty doing that. I'm just wondering in the context of looking at the federal government with the massive deficit budgets and most provincial governments now, with the exception, I believe, of Quebec, I think is one of the only provinces still running surpluses. Are surplus budgets that uh, important to the electorate anymore? Do people care that there is a balanced budget if the NDP were to, I, know, I, I realize back in the 90s that was a big thing, uh, but are we now looking at a situation where there is some potential flexibility for the government to go into deficit and not worry about that as they head to the polls? If you were presented with a genuine economic crisis uh, like the ones that, that occurred in 07 and 08, where BC Liberals went into deficit, um, then I think you make the case that you've tried everything you can and you can't avoid it. You're not going to cut program spending. Uh, 
but I think it has to be a real economic crisis. I don't think you can just cruise into deficit territory in British Columbia. And I don't think John Horgan has any intention of doing that. He and Carol James have been absolutely firm on the issue that they are going to do everything they can to keep the province in a modest surplus in terms of budget making. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing, too, is the same thing, that it's going to be a, a stand pat kind of a budget, not an election budget, which is also one of the factors, I think, Vaughn, in the election talk. If there was election talk still going on, uh, once Carol James delivers the budget in uh, mid-February, we'll see, I think, pretty clearly that it's probably not going to be an election year unless there's an accident. No, I agree. And remember, too, we, we switched to fall elections from spring mm -hmm. elections. At the behest of the New Democrats and the Greens, who did not like the idea that the, 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 the election occurred right in the middle of the most delicate time of the budget cycle, with one year's financial results closing and another one beginning, and the public accounts coming out after the election. I think, again, there'll be a reluctance to switch back to spring elections uh, from that having gone to all the trouble to get us yeah. to a fall budget cycle anyway, or an election cycle anyway. Yeah. Another question which has come up, and as we're taping in uh, in early January, we've got the coastal uh, gas link situation with the Wet'suwet'en, hereditary chiefs opposing a pipeline project which the elected chiefs have approved. We've now got an injunction, and, and it's unclear where that will go. Uh, what kind of special challenge does that, uh, first of all, give to Premier Horgan and the NDP government, but also how does that tie in with UNDRIP, which uh, the Liberal leader uh, Andrew Wilkinson supported and the legislature supported? I think this is a huge problem for the Horgan government. They are approaching it very delicately for obvious reasons. They don't want to raise the stakes. They don't want to uh, encourage uh, any more trouble on it than they've had, but the stakes are enormous. Uh, you've got huge benefits for the First Nations, the 20 of them that have signed benefit sharing agreement. The government offered $6 billion worth of uh, incentives to get that project underway, and you've got international investors staking billions of dollars. So it's got to happen. Bill, you asked the, the, the important question about UNDRIP. So last fall, the BC legislature endorsed principles of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. One of those principles is free, prior, and informed consent for First Nations. But again and again, Horgan and the ministers and, and the government said in the legislature that free, prior, and informed consent does not mean a veto. But look what the hereditary chiefs are saying in this standoff. They're saying you can't even come on to our land without our consent. They don't want this project at all. Well, that sounds to me like they think it's a veto, even if the government doesn't think it's a veto. So I think, uh, you know, just weeks after the legislature unanimously approved under it, we've got a showdown over the whole principle of consent, and I don't see an easy way through it. I think it's a really fundamental question that goes beyond even BC, because if we have a situation where elected First Nations Indigenous groups are in favor yeah. and hereditary aren't, do we go back to a, a kind of a, a monarchy situation where people who are hereditary uh, and not elected by the people get to decide? I mean, that seems to me to be a pretty dramatic reversal of the democratic process on, uh, on First Nations uh, behalf as well as uh, in our general democracy. I agree, but the First Nations position on that is, is that this is a structure imposed by colonial society that also took their land without their consent. So 
I'm guessing, I'm speculating that this thing may well end up at the Supreme Court of Canada at some point. The great concern for the government would be that if that held up the completion of this pipeline, because you won't be able to start shipping LNG out of British Columbia on schedule, but you can't get the natural gas to get them at, and it won't do any good if the entire pipeline is constructed, except for the small section in the middle where these people are blockaded. So Vaughn, before we wrap up the uh, our inaugural uh, BC Polytalk uh, episode one, uh, it, it, you, I have to throw this in before we run out of time here, but uh, anything uh, coming down the pike in terms of Daryl Plekis and the Speaker, surely there will be some headlines coming from the Speaker's office uh, in the coming months. I know there's still some outstanding uh, reports that are coming around, I believe the Speaker's uh, Chief of Staff or on some trip or travel that he did, and there's still some outstanding. Anything that you, any potential uh, bombs are going to go off in the legislature coming from the Speaker's office in the coming months? Well, there are still, of course, uh, two special prosecutors and investigations going on. And I guess uh, that is the next thing. And we don't know what that could lead to. We don't even really know what they're investigating. So that's a big unknown. Um, the other thing is, uh, last year, the Premier's office quietly passed the word to Daryl Fletcher that uh, they thought he'd done a good job so far, but they would appreciate it if he would try to lower the temperature on this issue. And I think, you know, in fairness to him, um, I think he has uh, played less the controversy through the fall. Uh, so I think it would be a good thing for the legislature if it were able to move on um, and, and, you know, where the uh, kind of keep the temperature lower and move on on that and stop arguing about that uh, and leave it to the police and the special prosecutors. As we know, those exercises can take a long time and they are truly independent. Nobody, nobody controls what they do. I have, I have to throw in, Daniel, with your forbearance, one, one last question, kind of go back to the UNDRIP. Three Liberal MLAs absented themselves from the House, from the legislature for that vote, uh, John Martin, Laurie Thronis, and John Rustad. Uh, but Andrew Wilkinson and the Liberal Caucus uh, all voted in favor, is my understanding. No, um, they actually came back on third reading and voted. Uh, they, okay. Every, every Liberal in the House voted for UNDRIP, with the exception of Tracy Reddy's, which is on, who, who's on sick leave. seriously yeah. ill okay. and uh, recovering. So she is the only one who actually didn't vote. You're right, Bill. Those three absented themselves on the on second reading vote, but they were there and all voted for it on third reading. So is, does that indicate any kind of a, I guess I was kind of surprised at the unanimity on the UNDRIP piece. Is there, and I'm sure a lot of uh, British Columbians, particularly in rural areas, would have a lot of nervousness about it. Do you see it as a, as a problem both, for both parties or all three parties for that matter? I think that the position the Liberals took, and I think Wilkinson was pretty insistent, he wanted everybody voting for this, was that since the business community decided to give it a try, uh, it would be important in principle to support the thing. But you'll notice that they spent the better part of a week asking the government to say what it meant right, again yeah. and again. And I think the intention of the liberals is to hold the government to those interpretations, to see if it is as constructive and benign as the government claimed, or whether it leads to more problems like the one we were talking about up in Wet'suwet'en territory. Because that's what I've heard too, Vaughn, is that they supported it in principle with the uh, understanding a lot of details yet to follow. So they're still waiting and they're still kind of the 
judgments out in terms yeah. of what it'll actually look I, like. So. I do think it's just one of the fundamental issues that's going to take some time to resolve, but it, it, it has fraught with peril, I think, for all parties, too. I agree, and it's framework legislation. It, it, it's an agreement to do some stuff that hasn't been done yet as well. So I think that made it easier for the Liberals to support it in principle, because really, uh, we don't know what it's going to look like at the end of the day. Well, Vaughn, I want to thank you very much. Uh, I know you weren't able to make it in in person here, so we're glad you're able to connect with us on our first episode of BC Poly Talk. We're really excited to uh, have you had you on. And I know uh, I speak on behalf of Bill when we both appreciate you taking the time to, to be here. So. And I'll speak on behalf of Bill too. Thank you, Vaughn. <laughs> I'll always speak on his thank behalf. You, thank you so much for asking me and good luck with, uh, with this. I hope, I hope uh, you get to do it regularly. Thanks for your we time. We plan to. Thanks so much, Vaughn. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. You're listening to BC Poly Talk. We just had Vaughn Palmer on from the Vancouver Sun and uh, Bill and I uh, had a fascinating discussion with Vaughn. What was your one takeaway from Vaughn that you thought something that kind of surprised you or something that he said that caught your attention? I think Vaughn Palmer was fairly clear it's unlikely we're going to see an election in 2020. Uh, based on the budget, based on a number of factors within each of the parties, the, the challenges that each party leader has there, I don't think anybody really wants an election. I still think it's a possibility, particularly if uh, an Andrew Weaver decides to pack it in early or somebody else uh, has a problem, or as Vaughn said, we might have an accident. Accidents happen. I remember when Corky Evans went for a ham sandwich and almost defeated the government. Mm -hmm. So anything can happen in BC politics, but I think the odds are against an election this year. Yeah, I think that was pretty clear. Vaughn's taking that position. Um, other analysts have not. Other people like Michael Smith from the province, others are, are thinking that there is going to be an election this year. And I think I think the, uh, um, as I mentioned to Vaughn, the, the fixed legislation is really to me the unknown as to whether or not that legislation requires a fixed election date and whether or not it has to be lived up to. And if it doesn't, then yes, the Premier can call an election. But um, otherwise, there has to be some event. Something has to happen. A vote has to happen in the legislature. And I think that's where the Green Party and their leadership and what happens with that uh, that agreement between the NDP and the Greens, I think that's the, the big wild card right now. Yeah, I think it would be challenging for the NDP to have an election without being defeated in the House, which would mean the Greens would have to vote against you or absent themselves. And do you really want to go into an election with the Green Party having voted against you, where a lot of people would say, hey, you know, I'm, I like both parties and I'm not too happy with that. So lots of challenges there, but I think on balance we won't see an election. And over the coming weeks I'd like to explore as well with our guests around the whole issue of the Green Party having to separate itself at some point before mm -hmm. the next election. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a, a point where they have to pivot and move away. So we haven't seen that yet, but there will be a point where at some point the NDP and the Greens are going to be campaigning essentially against each other. So mm -hmm. there's going to have to be that natural break point. Yeah. So. And so as Vaughn said, the leadership question, uh, it could be someone who's outside of the legislature who does not have a seat in the BC legislature and who did not sign the CASA agreement yeah. with the NDP. But could they actually tell three sitting uh, MLAs to break their word and break the agreement, I think that would be very challenging. All I can say is we started at BC Polytalk in January 2020. I know it's going to be a fascinating year. We're going to get, we have some uh, some fantastic guests that are going to be scheduled to be coming in here. So we're going to be bringing in a lot of various political people and uh, from provincial, federal, municipal. So huge lineup of some amazing guests. So I'm, yeah. I'm thrilled that we were able to, uh, to get Vaughn on today. Yeah, and you don't want to miss us. So you can follow on a whole bunch of different ways. So you can go to our Facebook page, go to our website, bcpolytalk.ca. You can get us on podcasts, on iTunes and Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter. You can go to Vimeo and see the show. You can go to YouTube and see the show. And uh, if you want to make sure we're back here week after week, because we will be doing a podcast uh, absolutely every single week. So if you want us back week after week, be sure to share on Facebook and, and other social media. That's how we get the word out. So do appreciate you uh, tuning in and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot.